Yeah, what's going on, everybody? This is the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast presented by Underdog Fantasy. Hey, we got Dandy Andy D in the chat already. He's here. Uh, last week was the first time Andy had ever popped into our chats, and it just so happened to be on a show that I wasn't even on. Uh, oh. for that, but I'm glad you came back anyway. Uh, this is episode 19 of season two, and though it may be the slow period for fantasy football content, it is not a slow period for the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast. We're actually ramping up our fantasy football content. We are now at the point where we are releasing 12 to 15 videos a week over at the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast YouTube channel, which you should be going and subscribing to now, where you can also get the information for the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast Discord. But I'm not going to sit here and kick this show off with five minutes of ads and what you can do and where you can find it. Because if you're listening, you should know already, which means not all of you are going and subscribing and linking into the Discord, which shame on you. But I, of course, am your host with most time on his hands. I am Thomas Tibble FF. And my fun fact of the day is there has never been a time in my now 33-year life where I have seen more conversations about something that I thought was completely obvious, which would be not handcuffing your running backs. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That one took me aback as I was doing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, Billy heard handcuffs. He was about to get his out of the corner, and then he's like, "Oh wait, sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong yeah, show, yeah, yeah. wrong show, wrong stream." My weird ensemble of stuff I got behind me. You can find me on Twitter at Big Billy FF. And uh, about twenty minutes ago, I scarfed down two McDoubles from McDonald's, and Attaboy. I, I'm about to hate myself for the rest of the show. So. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll have a Billy. We'll have Big Billy's bathroom break instead of Big Billy's bank. Um, half of the show. <laughs> Uh, I love that. Uh, my name is Jacob Sanderson. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. And on this day in 1775, Charles Goodyear got a patent for the vulcanization of rubber. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? That is a, that's a oh, solid that's, fact. Oh, my God. That is not where I thought you would be going with that. I for completely I, I thought so you were going Alan Lazard there. But I, 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 loved, I, no I, love that. I, I didn't think of a fun fact. I do want to talk about the Lazard thing, but we're going to talk about wide receivers anyway. So I feel like I can shoe. I have a lot of opportunity to shoehorn that into a discussion and derail Tom's show sheet anyway. So <laughs> that. um, that's what I do best. But no, I, I, I realized um, that I hadn't thought of a fun fact. And then I, I was like, what can I do? Actually, I realized that Google is like very easy for thinking of things in a pinch where uh, I recently, my roommate recently turned 31 and I was trying to think of like something to add as like a little fun thing for a little setup to like our wine and chocolates that we were going to leave when he came back. Ooh, and I was babe. like, what if I just come up with fun facts about the number 31? And then I just Googled 10 of them. And I was like, what if I just Google like things that happened on the day, June 14th. And then I thought that the vulcanized rubber fact was the most interesting. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty solid one. You learned something new on last week's episode with JJ Zacharyson. We, we learned that he, uh, I guess meddled or placed second in musical competitions. And now we're learning about vulcanized rubber. So yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable. Andy wants to know if there were no onions on those McDoubles, Billy. Oh no, there was plenty of onions. Oh yeah. You're definitely going to regret that. That, that comment <laughs> popped up. The McDonald's comment had already left my brain. So <laughs> it popped up and just said no onions. And I was convinced <laughs> I was like losing it. 
McDonald's is already getting a Billy's head. I, I felt my brain cells climbing out of my ears. I had used all 45 of my oh, IQ God. points. Well, that. hopefully all the brain cells don't leave our listeners' ears by the time we get through <laughs> this episode. But, guys, as we always do, there's been some news, even though it's slowdown period. But with it being slowdown period for fantasy football, uh, obviously there's some hot takey take takes that are out there. Uh, and Jacob, as we alluded to, you did before we went on see a tweet that said, and I just want to rifle it off. I'm I am paraphrasing this because I didn't see it. Thank you. I'll, I'll list it off. It, it listed okay. five wide receivers. Oh, Brad's in here. What up, Brad? Five wide receivers that had a realistic chance. How you doing, man? As the overall wide receiver one, five sleepers to be the overall wide receiver one, as in what Cooper Cup was last year, as in over that, twenty points per game. That Thomas called. Um, and and it listed two that are actually somewhat reasonable, Deontay Johnson and Mike Evans. Okay. Two that are pretty insane, but you could kind of see it in Amari Cooper and Cortland Sutton. No. And then one no. that is completely insane, which is Alan Lazard. Oh, my God. Alan Lazard has a better chance of finishing as the wide receiver one than Amari Cooper does. Amari Cooper's about uh, to have Jacoby Brissett throwing in passes. All right. Tom, Thomas Tipple is officially an Alan Lazard truther. Uh, hey, whoa, wait. Lazard think- over Cooper. I got his jersey a good thing I'm the one that edits uh, edits all this, so uh, that could be taken right out. Uh, obviously, that's insane. This show, what we're doing today, we're talking about uh, crowded or ambiguous wide receiver rooms. So it's going to be a great time. It's 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 going to be a lot of receiver talks. So we're going to get that in. But Jacob, in the bulletproof Discord, you were pretty adamant that there was one player that needed to be added to your to your dynasty rosters immediately. That was Chet McKinnon. Chet oh, McKinnon yeah, back on a one-year deal, one more year, where you get to ride the jet of excitement as he again becomes the Kansas City Chiefs de facto running back one. Does this – we spent a lot of time at the end of last week's show with J.J. Zacharyson talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Is that out the window now? Like, does this signing just mute that? Uh, I mean, this. I would say that this entire spring really has been a build-up to this large event that people of all cultural backgrounds, fantasy football play styles can enjoy this jet-fueled event, you know. Oh and it's God. clearly McKinnon signing with the Chiefs. It's not. It's not Top Gun too. Uh, so I'm. I'm a big fan of Jet McKinnon signing with the Chiefs. It, for Clyde, yeah, it's. It's a big nerf. Like. I don't think that it eliminates his ceiling because Jarek McKinnon is like a 30 year old back who was once rested for tired legs. Um, not that long ago. So the ceiling case still exists, but in terms of, you know, if we're looking for reasons how it could fail, well, one of the ways it could fail is that Jarek McKinnon has been a very effective passing down running back on now three NFL teams before he did it for the Vikings. He did it for the 49ers. He did it for the chiefs last year down the stretch um Clyde Edwards Hilaire has never really played those snaps it was it's been Daryl Williams it was a little bit of Le'Veon Bell Mm -hmm. uh and then of course Ronald Jones uh we all know is not there to catch passes so uh you know I think that it's 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 honestly quite possible that Jarek McKinnon starts off in that role and I mean it's notable that yes Clyde Edwards Hilaire of course was nursing an injury but this is not like a cowboy situation where they were like yeah we don't really care if Zeke is held together by like duct tape around his PCL, <laughs> we're just going to keep trotting him out there. Like the Chiefs said, well, he carries a game, kid. You know, Cl- Clyde's hurt, not hurt, whatever. Not effective right now. 
Jarek McKinnon is the more effective back, and they rode him as the clear lead back for three playoff games. So I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be the week one starter. Please do not. Um, please do not accuse you of that. But <laughs> I, I think, like, clearly there is room where if the Chiefs feel that, you know, Jarek McKinnon or Ronald Jones or whoever is the most effective running back that day, they'll play who they think is the most effective running back. Like, I think that they've made that pretty clear with their actions. And, and yeah, I mean, I love Jarek McKinnon's skill set. And we saw it in the playoffs. He was, like, an RB1. If, if he got that role again – then he's an RB one. So you should add him off of waivers. Absolutely. Yeah. He was very good when called upon last year. His, if you go and look, obviously his whole season outlook isn't great, but uh, I, I like Andy's comment here, uh, obviously with the uh, Archer uh, reference, but the danger zone is still Clyde Edwards. Alaire is, it, I think it's at a point, obviously he, the Edwards Alaire hype feel like it lasted for like two weeks and all of a sudden this signing and it's completely dead. It, uh, is that good process or bad process? Like, if you were that in on them, was it under the assumption that they wouldn't bring somebody else in? This is the, in my opinion, peak season for bringing in a running back that will destroy some other running backs that you are hyping up. You will destroy their dreams. Is that, are you still in on Clyde or is it dead already? Well, I wasn't really in on Clyde before. JJ got me like half interested. Um, like, <laughs> I, like he got me like a little bit more. I was like pretty darn dead. And then JJ was talking him up and I was like, maybe I'll take another look. But I, I wasn't like overly interested <laughs> prior to that episode. Uh, yeah, I think in general, like the, I, I, I can't remember if I made this point on this podcast or on the podcast with Chase and Shane. I'm, I'm not sure. But the point is that Clyde edwards Solera has not been an effective or efficient passing down back since LSU. Like when he's been in passing situations in the NFL, he has not earned targets at a high rate. He has not been efficient on those targets. So uh, I think that there was always like a risk that he would not get that role. I think that the biggest reason why people thought he would was that the only other option at the time was Ronald Jones. who's like the worst passing down back literally on the planet. Um, And, you know, now that's no longer the case. So I think from a process perspective, like, it's tough. If you're looking at like a best ball redraft perspective. Yeah. Like the situational factors do matter. It's like, can I project this guy to play on third downs? Yes or no. You know, he now has a worse chance. Like it's, it, it makes sense to make a, a pretty decent shift based on that from a dynasty perspective. Like, no, we probably shouldn't ever be making like major swings in anticipation of, or not expecting like the signing of Jarek freaking McKinnon. So, <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm on that side, I think, in a best ball perspective. I mean, in the same way Daryl Williams had one game last year where he had 100 receiving yards, like the same can happen for Jarek McKinnon. Uh, this feels a lot like C.J. Anderson a couple of years ago, where he mm. came in at the end of the year, looked phenomenal, got one last contract at, in his year 30 season, and then just did nothing. Um, I do want to shout out a few statistics that I was pulling up that – you can make of these what you want, but I want to give credit where credit is due. Jacob does have some valid points. Now I'm going to list these off. In terms of fantasy season, actual regular season statistics, okay. Jarek McKinnon since 2017 has had 381 rushing yards. Last year, last year alone in 2021, that would have been less than Latavius Murray, Mike David, Rex Burkhead, Jordan Howard, Alex Collins. Now, to go back to what was happening in 2017, 
I just want to run down the list of wide or running backs that were relevant though that year. Oh God. Uh, okay, let's go. Kareem Hunt led the league in rushing yards. Great. Okay. Then we had Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, Mark Ingram, Jordan Howard, Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette, and to bring this all back to put a nice bow on it, CJ Anderson put up a nice 1,000 yard season. So, <laughs> hey, we're getting a yeah, we're getting a, a modified hole corner I here. I mean, I want to be super clear. Like, I'm not, I'm not like hot take artisting this as saying like Jerick McKinnon's the week one starter and he's going to be an RB one. But it's like we we know that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to score points. Um, we know that. Um, at least everyone other than CEH that has ever had the, the three down roll on the chiefs at any given time has been extremely productive for fantasy. And we saw that this applies to McKinnon who had 11.3 carries 5.7 targets for 105 total yards per game uh, in the playoffs last year. Do I think that'll happen in the regular season? Probably not. Should you leave him on your waiver wire? Hell no. Like you're, you're, you're not going to find a much better spot for a waiver wire or end of bench running back than competing with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Ronald Jones on a potential league-best offense. I, I just want to give a shout-out right now. Jarek McKinnon's best season, which let's just project that now. Let's say he this year with the Chiefs, he has the best season of his career, which in 2017 was his previous best season, where he averaged 11 fantasy points per game. Like, it... I think there's a lot of potential here for big blow-up games, which is why I'm all for it in best ball. I think he's a fine stash and redraft. I think this means very little in the long-term future for the Chiefs, the RB position, and even Clyde Edwards-Alaire. No, that's it's all fair points. Uh, I just think it's one of those situations where if Clyde does go down, then you're going to be really happy you added McKinnon onto your fantasy roster because, again, he was keeping – some people's teams alive uh, last year when he when he was doing his thing. He was phenomenal. I mean, the story of McKinnon is it's always in bursts, right? Like Billy Brown yeah. 2017, you know, first four weeks, Dalvin Cook was the lead back. He ends up getting injured. And then what happens, like the next four weeks, McKinnon has this ridiculous run. 26 fantasy points, 25, 9, 26. Then it tails off, right? We saw the four-week burst um last season i think it was in 2020 he had that run early season with the niners 13 13 16 22 like yeah he's old and he is constantly hurt so don't expect full season i'm just saying i think there could be a month where you're like putting him in your rb2 slot every week and and that can get you two wins maybe and then you're really happy you had him off waivers exactly and you're looking at free free money you're playing with house money right now and i think that's very important to yeah that really is that really is the point is Jarek McKinnon is probably on most dynasty waiver wires that Jacob isn't in the league of like, yeah, or, I added him in seven leagues literally yesterday. He is available. Or he's sitting on a roster where a guy just added him last year and hasn't checked his sleepers since the season ended. Exactly. So like, those are your two options. If you got 10 fab to throw at Jarek McKinnon right now, go nuts. Absolutely. Look, we're going to take a quick second because our producer who, uh, look, we're running with producers now. Uh, Lucas Gilbert is in the back. And because he is a very topical human, we're going to play a clip from our last week's show with JJ that uh, will either help or hurt this uh, point of view. Sit tight. When we come back, we're going to do the big bank of Billy before we roll into all the wide receiver discussion. Sit tight. I am, oh, I am in on CEH. Oh. I, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, from, from, again, this is like one of those takes where it's like from a redraft standpoint, the cost to acquire is not significant. So you can easily, you know, swallow that pill. Whereas, you know, if you have to send like future picks or if you have to, you know, I understand being hesitant from a dynasty standpoint, but 
he checks so many boxes, right? I am back in my wide receiver one jersey. <laughs> it absolutely blows my mind that uh, we had JJ on the show last week. That was something it took. It took a little while for the adrenaline to wear off of that one. Just absolutely incredible. Uh, fantastic individual and obviously his work. Phenomenal. If you don't know who he is, you should by now. And you need to go uh, check everything of his out. He was kind enough to give us more than enough of his time. But right now. Philly, the, the new game that we we love. Last week, I felt you took it easy on us a little bit. Uh, I'm interested to see what you got this week. Jacob crushed that uh, last week one immediately. Uh, so let's see what you got this week for the Big Bank of Billy. Well, look, not not every sale at the Big Bank is going to be a sleeper. It, okay. It's not always going to be Greg Dolchich, who just has infinite upside and five fab worth of <laughs> worth of law some cost. Okay. But you know what? We're going to build on that. So, this week at the Big Bank of Billy, we have an exciting new product to sell you. I oh. I feel like I'm mixing like the store and bank metaphor sometimes. So, we're we're just going to build off it and pretend I'm a store bank. Anyway. <laughs> so, for for those of y'all who don't know how this segment works, I'm going to pick a player. I'm going to keep him completely anonymous. I'm not going to tell him position, anything. I'm going to list off pros and cons of this player. Then they're going to tell me if they're in to purchase them. At the end, we'll we'll see how they feel after I reveal the player. And maybe they'll guess it along the way. So, this player, the pros, he's an athletic monster for his size. He's well okay. below apex hmm. he has day two or higher draft capital day two or higher mean day two or day one not day two to day three he has an elite breakout age hmm. and is currently in a wide open role on his offense okay now the cons this player has a little bit of an injury history that may have cost some of that athletic profile he hasn't shown much production at the NFL level yet. His team has taken steps to add at his position. He has a relatively low college yards per reception. And he's really only shown at best to be considered fantasy relevant in bursts. Oh, I think I know who this is. Oh, maybe. Okay. Maybe you have guesses. Okay. But okay. before I reveal the player, I will ask Jacob. Are you interested in purchasing? So, I mean, the, the hardest thing about um, Billy's bank is that it's a is that it's a bank that doesn't tell you the, the cost, which makes it difficult. It makes it very difficult to walk into the bank uh, and buy an asset without having any idea what the cost is. Um, because this specific uh, asset, now I haven't. I think I know who it is, but even if I'm wrong. Um, the way it's described, you know, it sounds like it's an asset that has quite a lot of ambiguity in terms of where it could go. Wide range of outcomes, high floor or high ceiling, low floor. Um, and that's the kind of bet that I really want to make or not make, depending on where I think the cost is relative <laughs> to that. So um, I'll say that because I think I know who this is, um, it's a player that... 
I used to be very in on at a lower price. And as the oh. price has increased, I have reduced my position, although I remain optimistic. All right, Tom, would you like Ask to give me your interest? An athletic freak. He checks all those boxes. Not yet productive. I don't really care about that. I'm assuming that this player is going to be relatively cheap to acquire just based on the negatives. If I were to look at the portfolio without knowing its revenue, uh, I am definitely going to buy this portfolio uh, for okay. sure. And I think I think we need to give some guesses. I, we have yeah. one guess. I, I'm down. So, Jacob, you seem pretty confident. Andy says well, I'm not, Tony. I'm not, I'm not as confident as I was last week, um, but I think it's Cam Akers. Okay. Okay. Cam Akers, not bad. Not bad. Uh, LaVisca Chenault. All right. right. Ah, Whatever. I'm going to stick with LaVisca Chenault. All right. So you are both wrong. Okay. Well, and the reason you're both wrong is probably because I didn't give you a value. Today, I am talking about Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Paris Campbell. You didn't just say Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell, baby. Oh my God! No, we're not in. We're no, he, we're selling he this. Is fulfilling the best shape Wait, of his life. Paris narrative Campbell has an elite breakout age. He broke out at the age of eighteen, and with like, and then just never like produced after that. Oh my Pretty God! Much. I guess he's just hurt all the time. Oh my God! He must this have the world's flattest production curve because his his like best market share receiving yards is like nothing. Pretty That's, much, yeah. Wow, yeah. Okay, yeah. He has he's a 31st percentile dominator at a 99th percentile breakout age. So he he broke out and then he, he then he never did anything ever again, basically. Oh my god. Now but, he can't break so out of the, the goal injury of this group. game is partially to continue to illustrate to people who are listening to the show partially how easy it is to just throw pros and cons on players. It's yeah. so flipping easy. We see buy, it in every trade negotiation that happens. Buy a but little bit also, of this, do a little of that. Oh, <laughs> I, I meant to put that in the uh, in the private chat. Anyway, I think that his breakout age is listed wrong. I'm pretty sure he's a senior breakout. And I think that they just fucked up on, uh, on player profile. Well, Matt, Maybe. don't get the pod father on the line. Let's call well, him up, friend of the show, freshman, Matt Kelly. His freshman season stats were zero receptions for zero receiving yards. Look, man, I'm just looking at the website. <laughs> oh, you're, no, you're, you're looking at the right thing. I don't blame you. To be clear, I, I said, I, to be clear, uh, the TNFF network um, said, I think his BOA is wrong on PP, LOL, not I think his BOA is wrong on Billy, LOL. <laughs> we should clarify the full tilt dynasty pod says that. We both oh both the Full Tilt Dynasty Pod and the True North Fantasy Football Network. Um, oh my God, we're in shambles. It's, it's we're so off the rails. That both of these institutions are in sync. <laughs> oh my God, we're off the rails. Look, we take a quick second. We come back. We're going to talk wide receivers and uh, you know do what we normally do, which is close out the show strong after we get absolutely off the rails. Here's another clip from our show with uh, JJ last week. If you can get rookie running backs, you can get year two running backs. And if you can get running backs who are pass catchers and ideally in good offenses, then you can beat the, the running back dead zone. I think two running backs are very obvious in the dead zone this year who fit that criteria. And that's Brees Hall and it's Travis Etienne. Those two running backs are the two that I think you can feel fine with drafting despite you know them being in the quote dead zone. 
Hey guys, bring it in, bring it in real close. Everyone, every, just right, so everyone we're still playing listening. Billy's bag, right? So, uh, let's not, don't <laughs> go the there again. Everyone, I want you to turn your volume way up. There's another running back that can help you beat the dead zone. It's Jared McKinnon, just by the way. Athletic pass catchers in good offenses uh, with an ambiguous backfield. Look, McKinnon joins that list, and again, he's cheap. Okay, let's talk wide receivers. Obviously, last week we did running backs in ambiguous situations, how you can kind of draft, get an advantage. Well, producer Lucas made sure before the show he gave us a couple from a couple of different teams that we're going to talk about today. Now, where I got this idea from was a fantastic article by, I hope I say this right, you can at me and yell at me if you don't, but I believe it's Joel Yabera. Uh, I've watched enough baseball to understand that spelling your name Y-B-A-R-R-A will sound like Yabera. So he put out an article, Ambiguous Wide Receiver Situations. And in this article, this is what what really uh, made me want to talk about this because I just, I love the article. He, and he writes, 40 ambiguous receiver situations occurred over the past six seasons from 2016 to 2021. If you simply drafted the player with a better ADP in those situations, you selected the higher scoring receiver only 55% of the time. That to me is interesting. So it's not just a draft when you get in that situation. I know a lot of people when they're drafting in their dynasty startup go, Oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just take the player with the higher ADP. Like then I'm, then I'm on pace with everyone else, but it's quite clear reading the article, which you can go and read on playerprofiler.com uh, with their fantastic dynasty content. I'm just giving the shout outs today. This is just free advertising for everyone. Yeah, after Jacob trashed them in the chat. Matt, Matt Kelly, call me. We'll work something out. Um, but look, there's <laughs> obviously different website in the public <laughs> chat. Yeah, you work there. It's okay. There's, there's obviously different strategies to this. And there are a lot of teams that have this situation. And it doesn't just mean that they're like around, right? Obviously, we're not just talking about a player that you can just get the next round. Like, let's say who, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It's a good example. One player's for sure going in the first. One player's for sure going in the second. Uh, obviously, that makes it a little bit easier. But if you're talking about someone like, I don't know, let's say Marquise Brown, ADP 38, DeAndre Hopkins, ADP 74 at the time this article was put out, that's not right side by side. You can even add a Zach Ertz in there as well when it, and, and Rondell Moore. And obviously, James Conner, that is kind of an ambiguous receiving core in Arizona. Oh, my God. Arizona. Uh, obviously, there's Green Bay. There's Miami. There's Kansas City. There's Oakland. There, uh, oh, my God. Oakland. Las Vegas. Um, there's, there's the Chargers. There's a ton of ambiguous wide receiving cores out there. And not everyone with good wide receivers counts. Obviously, we know with the Rams, players like Cooper Cup, they're going to get his. And we can, it, it is easy to say, oh, Devontae Adams is still going to get all of his. Who knows if he still gets 33, whatever his ridiculous target share was, like 36%. or whatever. We don't know what he's actually going to get with the Raiders now. They just gave Hunter Renfro a big bag of money. Darren Waller always commands targets. So the Raiders are definitely another team. Billy, I want to go to you first. When you get into these situations and you're looking for maybe a best player available or you want to trade for a player, when you're looking at these, do you have a specific way you approach this? Because I, I'm going to get to what Yabera says in this article, but first I kind of want the, the open opinions of all of us first before I refer to the article again. Yeah, ambiguity is a really strong thing when you like take it into account because it's 
means value and it means fear. Two things that are really mm-hmm. important in the marketplace that we play fantasy football in. Mm-hmm. Ambiguity means that this player that is so high that we love them above everyone else has such a potential to come down. And the same thing goes for this player who you're getting much lower. And what ends up kind of superseding that is just your opinion of the players and the various archetypes. Like what one of the biggest like clear archetypal teams in fantasy is the Chargers in my eyes, mm-hmm. where they have a very, very strong volume dependent wide receiver in Keenan Allen, who's yep. a pure route runner. You're probably not going to get the weak winning games you get from Keenan Allen, but you know, I you could flip a coin every week on gain 15, 16 points from him. Then there's Mike Williams. Mike Williams, who, you know, he could have 40 points in a week. He could have four touchdowns and 150 yards. Or he could continuously put up seven fantasy points every week. And it just doesn't matter. So uh, a lot of it comes down to, first off, how you want to build your team. That's the easiest thing. Um, A lot of it comes down to what you're looking at in the draft. Um, I know I tend to favor a little bit more of players with a stronger floor and a more consistent output, but I mean, there's plenty of other reasons why you want to go grab someone like Mike Williams. Cause his value has skyrocketed in the last year, but he has just about every chance to go up draft boards. I mean, Mike Williams has as good of a chance to finish as a top 10 wide receiver. I'd argue an even better chance than Keenan Allen. But Keenan Allen, I think, in most cases is going to finish higher. It, so it's just a trade-off of how you want to view the that kind of ambiguity. It as a general consensus, I usually say go with the younger or with the, the further back player, just right. because you get more upside because that you expect that player to eventually come up to that ascending talent. If it's amb- ambiguous, you know that player is good to some extent. You expect him to eventually come up. And that also means you get an elite asset elsewhere where you would have normally drafted that player. So it's a lot of it comes down to how you feel about the players and how you want to approach purchasing them at their ADP. I agree. I'm going to, before Jacob goes here, I'm just going to actually, with what you said, Billy here, uh, Andy Hartman says just draft a bangle, which leads me to, uh, you you said take the player with the lower ADP or who's younger, right? You expect to be able to get up there. That leads me to the Bengals because you can't necessarily just draft the younger player, but going with the just draft the player that's a little bit later, this can also happen at the very beginning of drafts. I know on Twitter there was a debate between, uh, you know, T. Higgins is overvalued right now. No way he should be a top eight wide receiver. I think he's my wide receiver six the last time I checked. I think he's moved past Deontay Johnson at this point. He's obviously moved past DJ Moore, moved past AJ Brown. He he's sitting there, I believe, at six for me, and he should be. And we did this on the fantasy walkabout when we talked about how close those two actually were. This is a situation where the targets didn't defer as much as you might have thought with Jamar Chase's huge games at the end of the year. There's opportunity on both sides. You don't really know how it's going to shake out with Joe Mixon's. Uh, workload there could be more targets overall so what do you want to do you want to maximize your opportunity with wide receivers and this is a case of 
uh, in Cincinnati where you can just draft Justin Jefferson if you're right there. To, chances are, if you can draft Chase, you got a, a good shot of drafting Jefferson instead. Just draft Jefferson and then go and get Higgins in that second round. I think that's people might think that uh, there's not really much ambiguity at the top of drafts. There's a lot of ambiguity at the top of drafts. Jacob? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think first off, in terms of like who I would prefer or what kind of situations I'm looking for, like it, it's, it's hard for me to even answer without knowing, you know, what format, right? Like specifically, of course, is the seasonal article in terms of the, the, in terms of what he's discussing in terms of these ambiguous wide receiver rooms, like, very different in Dynasty, where a lot of times, you know, in an ambiguous wide receiver room, one of them might be 28, one of them might be 22. And so, you know, the costs are actually not that close together at all uh, in yeah. Dynasty. And you have to look at, you know, the applications very differently. Um, but even within seasonal, like, you know, it depends. Am I playing redraft or am I playing best ball? Am I playing a best ball tournament, right? Like in, you know, in the, in the case of what Billy's saying for the Chargers, you know, um, I put out this tweet that compared, like, here's how many games they had over 10 points here's how many they had over 15 here's how many they had over 20 here's how many they had over 25 here's how many they had over 30 between keenan and mike williams and it's like yeah like keenan allen on the whole projects better keenan allen will have more games over 10 points i think keenan allen will outscore mike williams overall uh if i'm in a redraft league ppr redraft league give me keenan allen if i'm in a best ball tournament i don't really care who scores more you know all, all year. I don't necessarily care who projects better. I care about who has the better chance of getting me 30 in week 17 so that I can finish first out of 470 entries. And I think that's like unquestionably Mike Williams, right? So a, a lot of it is you have to think about your game environment and how do you cater the type of risk that you want to take in? How do you cater the distribution that you want to your game environment? That being said, on the whole, you all, I always want to be targeting ambigu ambiguous wide receiver rooms for some of the same reasons that JJ talked about on last week's show with ambiguous running back rooms, which is, you know, we often see situations like with the Saints last year, for instance, or the Giants last year, for instance, where it's like mm -hmm. there's no one on the team who projects to naturally be this massive target earner. But the market tends to coalesce around someone later in the offseason and this player gets pushed up the boards because people are obsessed with who's the wide receiver one, you know, yeah. who's the lead target guy. And unlike even at running back, which we see all the time, of course, with the running back dead zone, that that idea, as we talked about last week, is typically faulty where we're pushing someone up the board only on volume. It's even more ridiculous at wide receiver where that wide receiver is playing with other wide receivers. If you're the wide receiver one and an 18% target share and the wide receiver two has a 17% target share, it does not matter who the wide receiver one is because nobody's earning any targets. So in these situations, like, yeah, of two wide, if there's a wide receiver that's going around seven and none of his teammates are going anywhere in the first 12, 13 rounds, that sounds like a really bad situation to draft because if we thought that that wide receiver was actually good in and of themselves and their teammates are that bad, they'd be going in round two, right? Or, or it tells us that the offense is horrendous. So I want to be drafting absolutely the situations where there's multiple wide receivers going in that type of range, because that tells us this offense is worth investing in. There's other capable players on this team. So when we're drafting this player, we're doing it because we think that they have actual upside in this offense. They have actual a talent ceiling. We're not just deciding arbitrarily that this guy is the least bad of several futile options and pushing him up the board unnecessarily. Uh, so point being, I want to be drafting these ambiguous rooms. 
in terms of deciding who we'll get into it. I think it's a little bit more context specific. Um, but I do want to be targeting these ambiguous rooms and especially like my general rule of thumb and it's not a perfect rule, but it's just a general sort of heuristic is, you know, wide receiver owns their target share to the point of two viable targets. So essentially I think if you have two target earners on the same offense, they can pretty much earn what they earn without impeding each other too much. We've I like seen that. examples with two wide receivers earning each 25% target shares in an offense that happens. It's not super common, but that absolutely happens. When we get into three is usually where if there's three players who earn targets above expectation, who aren't just running routes and getting routes thrown to them when absolutely necessary, you know, think of an example like the 49ers. Think of an example like the Bengals, where there's three guys all of a sudden. The Bucks last case, year. Sorry. The Bucks last year the as Bucks well. Last year is a great example, a fantastic example. Usually in these cases, you know, either one person is really stepping aside or all three are going to end up earning a little bit less than they normally would. The Bucks being a great example. Mike Evans, like I've bagged on Mike Evans a little bit. He's not a 17% target share player. This year when they open up and Chris Goblin's not there, AB's not there anymore, I, I will, you can take to the bank. Mike Evans is earning more than 17% of the targets, right? Oh, yes. Has um, to. 25%-ish yeah. if they want to be successful. Exactly. Like that's not who he is as a player. But it's who he was in the context of an offense with Gronk and AB and Chris Godwin because there's so many plus target earners. Everybody has to come down a little bit. And I want to be targeting those type of offenses because it's very rare that we get contingent value at wide receiver. Usually that's a running back only concept where, okay, RB1 goes down, RB2 walks into the touches. They got to hand the ball to somewhere. And we know that any running back who gets the touches is going to be startable in fantasy, no matter how bad they are. If you get 70% of the carries and some targets, like you're going to get 12 points, we'll play you at RB2. And we know that's not the case with wide receiver because usually you just end up with situations like the Saints last year where nobody's really startable or the Jaguars last year where nobody's yeah. really startable. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm attracted to situations like the Bengals where it's like, Oh, you know, we've seen in the past with Tyler Boyd that he's a totally serviceable player. We know after last year, he's not a very startable player with Jamar Chase and T Higgins healthy. But if Jamar Chase or T Higgins gets hurt, like Tyler Boyd's a guy who actually does have, like he's actually going to earn a lot more targets when one of those guys goes out versus a situation like, um, you know, the Browns or, or the Bears, where it's like if Darnell Mooney goes out, like, no, I don't think Byron Pringle all of a sudden is going to be a guy you want to start. Like, sure, he'll get more targets, but is he ever – like, if 25% of the targets in any offense anywhere ever finding their way to Byron Pringle? No, I don't think so. It just becomes yeah. a depressing offense with nobody you want. Just becomes yeah. uh, more carries for David Montgomery is what that situation is. Yeah, and I think it's becoming partially just a statement on the wide receiver position. And a lot of how you approach this is how you see value elsewhere. Like we, we were talking, Jacob was talking a lot about format. We're talking about, we're looking at dynasty, super flex, redraft, best ball, whatever you want to look at. When you're looking at the wide receiver position, I mean, we have a show sheet in front of us. We listed 13 teams that we all view as having an amb ambiguous, I'm really struggling with that word, ambiguous wide receiver room. <laughs> I think we could easily list probably six or seven more. I've pulled the Titans, Rams, Vikings, and Lions off the top of my head. And that was with about five seconds of thinking, but like so, so much of it comes down to just say, uh, in a lot of these situations, when you're drafting other, like the higher end wide receiver, what you're losing out on 
is these top tier picks you can get elsewhere. Uh, Lucas, I think that's editing the show sheet. You don't need to go <laughs> add those in. I was, <laughs> that was just my notes. Uh, <laughs> but but some working hard back there. Yeah, he. He's a monster. Jacob, you're muted. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was saying that that's me editing the show sheet. Not oh, well, I'm giving the credit to Lucas anyway. Yeah, but um, like so much of this is to say when you're drafting these earlier wide receivers, you're kicking out so much value in these other positions. And I mean, it mm-hmm. makes sense a lot in Dynasty because wide receivers can be, I mean, not necessarily 10-year assets. I mean, the, the elite ones are 10-year assets. But the very good ones are five, six-year assets. And the best running backs in the league are usually – I mean, I just read off the best running backs from 2017. And one of one or two of them are still fantasy relevant. Like, it's – that's such a sharp decline at the other positions that I think – oh, ambiguity. <laughs> I'm really struggling. <laughs> Ambiguity is something you need to embrace in these situations because there's so much value you can pick out at some of these wide receivers that are valued a little bit lower. I mean, we're going to go into some of these, and I know we're not going to get to all of them, but I think one of the strongest ones is Chase Claypool. I mean, he's just in a situation where, sure, he's probably not going to produce as much as Deontay Johnson, but I mean, would I rather take a running back at Deontay Johnson's situation or Deontay Johnson's ADP, then take Chase Claypool at whatever 104 of his ADP. Like, I just think there's so much change and there's such a strong tear break at other positions that just isn't present at the wide receiver position in a lot of cases. And because of that, I think it's really important to look at just the depth that exists here. One thing that I wanted to add on, and I don't know, maybe I don't know if this is like anything against what Billy said or just different. Um, Billy can can decide that. Uh, is like I remember when when Gretch was on our show, um, Ben Gretch, and he talked about every player being its its own tiny little flower, and that's really how I view these ambiguous wide receiver rooms is, and, and all and all rooms, you know, including running back rooms. It's like I one thing that I don't like. Um, and I see this all the time uh, on Twitter and in fantasy an- analysis is that people will take this really aggressive stand on one room and then yeah. translate it to the other players in the room. So for example, yes. right. For example, it's like, I have decided that Cortland Sutton is the guy on the Denver Broncos. And because I've decided that, that means I'm fading Judy and I'm fading Patrick and I'm fading Okwebunam, et cetera, et cetera, right? Didn't we do a people versus RTB, RTTB where Jacob said exactly that? Yep. I don't think, no, I like Sutton more than Judy. (laughs) I like Sutton more. Like, the point is, like, I think that it's, no, I'm not saying don't have preferences. I'm saying, but like, you should, you should view each player somewhat individually. So if you view the Broncos, I'm not saying you should just like not have opinions. Like I think you should, if you think Sutton over Judy or you think Judy over Sutton, whatever, that's fine. But, but I think that like, when you look at Sutton, you should look at Sutton and you should say, okay, this is like what he's done in his career. This is his situation. These are the other elements of target competition that he has. Here's what I think is his range of outcomes. Here's where I think he should be drafted. Here's where I think he should be projected, et cetera. And then you should move to Judy and not say, well, I just projected Cortland Sutton for 24% of the targets, etched that in stone, and now 
uh, you know, let's work Judy based on that. I think you should then view Judy as his own thing first and then view him in the context yeah. of Sutton. Yeah. And you should open yourself up to overlapping situations where neither perform. And in fact, it's Tim Patrick who's the better value or it's Alberto who's the better value or nobody's all that good of a value because they're all at the same target share, you know, or both are whatever. But I think like you shouldn't just transpose things when you do projections. Yeah. yeah. You should look at each, like just because you might be really on Sutton, when you look at Judy, you should also consider situations where Sutton fails. And that doesn't mean that you're wrong. It's just, you should always like, because you open yourself up otherwise to being wrong twice or being wrong three times. And like, I want to identify, you know, really part of the projection is you're identifying high level situations that are attractive. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, cause I'm actually not that in on the, on the Broncos situation, but like what one example, right. It's like the Cowboys, you know, say you look at that situation. You're like, Oh, that's like a pretty attractive situation for passing. Um, oh, the giants actually, that's, that's the one I'll use because I'm really high on the giants. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, on, on the Giants outlook this year from a high level but while Tony is my favorite guy to target you know it's not a lock it's not an etched in stone that Kadarius yeah. Tony is going to succeed this year so I also have to look at the scenarios what if Kadarius Tony does not at all succeed what's Galladay's range of outcomes what's Wandale Robinson's range of outcomes right like but I, and I try to look at those independently from each other so you know if I get into a best ball draft and I draft Kadarius Tony, great. Now I'm in on Tony. If I don't draft Kadarius Tony, then Galladay's up my pick. I say, okay, what if Kadarius Tony is a total failure? What's Galladay's realistic ceiling? You know, and that's how I think people have to look at these. And so sometimes you're not necessarily taking a stand for one player and then against another. You can spread things around and consider the whole range. Yeah, I think that's a really strong take and ties into what I was saying. I think it, we need to view a lot of this ambiguity. Ooh, nailed it. As a, as tethered to the situation they're in a lot of people prior to the draft were very in on elijah moore they were in on elijah moore with the idea that they thought zach wilson was going to take a step up the jets were rebuilding in the right way and they were going to build a strong offense now with garrett wilson in there you can't just sit there and go well i mean i i like both of those guys i prefer elijah moore so i don't care about garrett wilson or i Garrett Wilson got drafted. I don't care about Elijah Moore. If you think the Jets right. are going to do better, then you need to accept the fact that both of these guys are likely going to produce. Because in a lot of cases, what's behind these one, one two wide receivers isn't a whole lot. So a lot of what you have to view it as, as tethered to the situation it's in. And because of that, I think both Seahawks wide receivers are widely overdrafted this year. I think hmm. both DK and Tyler Lockett, Lockett is still a pretty good value, but DK could very well plummet in the end of year rankings just because I think they're trying to establish the run and their quarterback situation isn't good. Like the that offense is in a pure rebuild with just weapons all over, but no way to use them. Then we go over and look at other situations like the Chiefs, where I think it's a strong offense with a rough wide receiving core or the Packers, which is a strong offense with a rough wide receiving core. Mm. And I think we have to come to terms with one or two of these players are going to blow up over their ADP because they simply have to. There's no way you can right now project the Chiefs as a deep playoff team and say Juju, Sky Moore, I guess with Travis Kelsey, it makes it a little bit harder, but none of the Chiefs wide receivers are going to be much better than their ADP. Because I just mathematically, it doesn't make sense. 
It's one of the scenarios where how can you be so in on the quarterback and not in on their assets? I think that's yeah. an important situation or it is, important it is, part of that. Yeah, it's very rare that wide receivers detether themselves from the situation that they're in. Like it, it's yeah. just a rare situation to occur. I wish I remembered the stats that the footballers quote every year, but it's the same thing with running backs and wide receivers where it's very rare. We see a top 10 wide receiver from a bottom 10 offense, mm-hmm. right? Just because if you have a wide receiver, that's putting up 1600 yards and 10 touchdowns, there's no way you're a bottom 10 offense. Like yeah. it just doesn't work. I can't remember the last time. Like I can't visualize the last time a team had such a great offense and you didn't want any of their wide receivers. Like it just, you're right. That's not something that happens, which leads it. Look, we're at 50 minutes. Jacob does have a hard out. Cause you have somewhere to be at 10. Yeah, I got, 10 I got another 15 at least. Though. Right. So I just want to, I just want to say this. We have had a great time just getting into the process of ambiguous wide receivers. We're going to do a part two of this next week before we have Pat Dowdy on the 28. Cause Aww. I, no, 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 just listen, hold on. Because oh, I love this conversation. I think that there's so much that we can get out of this. So let's keep talking about process. We're going to go through all the players. Lucas and I are going to work tirelessly hmm. throughout the week to put a really fun game together for next week's shows oh, fun. Break, to break these down lucas you and i we're gonna work on that um but let's keep talking about process because i think the most important part of identifying the best ambiguous wide receiver rooms does come with cost and scenario tied in a lot of people will just look and say no i want dk metcalf because he is the alpha in seattle he is going to be that guy when really if you look at it Lockett and Metcalf aren't that far apart with what they produce. It's a perception. Mm. So situation plus cost. So let's talk about, let's say, a Philadelphia Eagles right now. Uh, A.J. Brown is still being drafted as, what, a top 12 receiver. I would rather have, with this many question marks about how is he going to be deployed, how successful is he going to be. He's a, You love them as the wide receiver one in Dynasty at a time to the wide receiver two and three. Actually, not one, I don't think, Jacob, but I think you had him in the top two and three for sure. I we don't have him three. Right, which is yeah. way too high, but that's besides the point. If he goes out there and he does what, what you think he's going to do, great. How much room does he have to grow? We don't know. That could It could need a, a situational change with Jalen Hurts walking out the door when they get a guy like McCorkle in there that can really, you know, fuel A.J. Brown. However, you look at another elite player that they have on that team, Devonta, uh, Devonta Smith, he's definitely the type of player that I want to target when it comes to ambiguous wide receiver rooms. He's significantly cheaper than his other half, or let's say the, let's say the number one target, quote-unquote, that we're perceiving to be is an A.J. Brown Devonte Smith has has oh my god Devonte Smith has just as much opportunity I think and it's clouded enough to say that he could produce much like AJ Brown in that offense because you would think AJ Brown's taking coverage away and the, you know the target should be a little bit even whatever whatever narrative you want to use the cost is what drives me to Devonte Smith when you look at two guys that they're both young they both have draft capital. They're both good in college. And it's a situation where you don't really know how they're going to be deployed. How inclined are you to, how can I word this? Uh, this is probably the last question we get to, but how do you look at a situation? We're going to stick with Philly. And how are you deciding outside of just what your ranks are? 
right? Because we're taking away uh, predetermined narratives. How are you deciding in this kind of situation how you want to attack a wide receiver room? Because A.J. Brown's cost, I just feel, is so high still when there's other value to be had on the draft board at the time. I'll let Billy handle the Philly question because Billy brought up three scenarios that I really wanted to talk about, like, theoretically. And I don't think that Philly is ambiguous because I think that A.J. Brown just, like, walks into 30% of the targets wherever he goes. See, I, I super don't, but yeah. Okay. We, we can argue about that one all off season. I, I'll enjoy that. Yeah. That I think the, the Philly situation legitimately, I, I know I said this on the walkabout a couple of weeks ago about the Steelers, but I think the Philly situation is probably a top three, most interesting situation in terms of fantasy off fantasy production moving forward. Cause there's three very popular wide receiving or receiving options for their position in Brown, Smith, and Goddard. There's a running back that I will never draft again, but that's a personal, that's a personal grudge. <laughs> um, and solely personal. I wholeheartedly acknowledge Miles Sanders as a good prospect and yada, yada, yada. Besides the point. But a lot of it comes down to, and this is kind of what I was saying, how you want to view this team. Because if you think Jalen Hurts is going to take a step forward as a quality passer in the league, however you view that, good, bad, whatever, if you think he's going to take a step forward as someone who can throw enough that 30% of his target share doesn't mean 120 targets and 70 receptions, if you think he can take that step forward, then you need to, have, you need to be in on both A.J. and Devonta Smith. Because a rising tide, ooh, rising tide raises all boats. I'm I gotta do like my my theater training before this. <laughs> um, but in all these situations, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, so much of it comes down to we can view AJ Brown as going to get thirty percent of his target, thirty percent of the target share, and I think that's completely fair. I think there's also. Pl- a, just as much of a chance to say Devonta Smith has a chance to do more with those targets. He might be able to get less, but still match AJ Brown in production. And you want to go back and look at that last year. That was how they were using Devonta Smith. They, he put up almost 1500 air yards. I think he was second or third in the league in it with yeah, yeah, Jalen Hurts as quarterback. Like he, he has such a good situation where if Jalen Hurts takes a step forward as a passer and A.J. Brown moves into that alpha role, there's just as good of a chance that Devonta Smith has multiple hundred-yard receiving weeks with multiple touchdowns. Right. Like, there's such a stark contrast between the two to say that if we think Philadelphia is going to take a step forward and Jalen Hurts is going to take a step forward, that – I just think both Devonta Smith and AJ Brown are values right now. Personally, I really liked or AJ Brown in Tennessee. I get why they made that move, but I mean, so much of it I think comes down to how do you view these teams and how much do you think they're going to weigh in versus their other options? Yeah, like do do you think the draft position, the cost of Devonta Smith? is worth maybe him producing 80% of A.J. Brown, but you get a different asset at that draft pick. Yeah. I, I think that the Philly situation is – so, okay, there's four situations we talked about recently, right, where we have 
and they're all kind of different in their own unique way where we have this Philly situation where we have three weapons that to at least to maybe varying degrees, but at least everybody really likes and thinks is very good at football. Um, and then a quarterback that we're not necessarily that sure of and of a pass volume situation that we're not particularly sure of. Then the exact opposite of that is green Bay where you have a quarterback that we're all very sure of and wide receiver options that we're all very, very unsure of, right? Like those to me are like exact polar opposites where you have way too many awesome weapons on Philly with a quarterback and, and volume concerns versus we love the quarterback and we hate everyone on the team. And then, you know, on the other end, uh, we have this jet situation where every single thing about it is ambiguous. Like we're not hundred percent sure how good Elijah Moore is. We don't know how good Garrett Wilson is. We don't know if Zach Wilson is any good. Um, and it's like, everything is entirely up in the air. And then, you know, Seattle is like sort of this, you know, half certainty where it's like, actually, no, we're, we're, it's not like Zach Wilson where we're like, maybe he's trash. Maybe he's great. It's like, no, we know, like, we know that Drew Locke is total trash. We know that Geno Smith is total trash. Like there's no real upside with these two, um, you know, beyond it's like, maybe they're the 28th best quarterback in the league, or maybe they're 32nd best quarterback in the league. Uh, And then two weapons that we do know are quite good. And it's just a matter of like, how much can they do in this awful situation? And to me, I apply very different heuristics to either. Like the Philly situation to me is, is not as much like ambiguous. I guess it's just because of where my priors are. To me, I look at the Philly situation a lot like the Vegas situation, where it's like we have one guy who is one of the best players in the NFL at his position who owns his target share wherever he goes. And that's how I view AJ as in the role of, of like Devonta or, or Devonte Adams. And then I look at, the other two where it's like Renfro and Waller. And I look at them sort of similarly as I do Goddard and Devonta Smith with two guys who I think are very, very good, not stylistically, but um, but like in terms of two guys who are very, very good and whose targets will just necessitate taking a hit due to the arrival of AJ Brown. And similarly, AJ Brown's targets will probably take a hit due to, you know, increased target competition versus what he was used to just as Devonte Adams is not going to see 35% of the targets competing with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And so that's, you know, more of this compressed situation like, um, you know, the Bengals where it's like, uh, you know, or the bucks where, what I like about it is you have this little bit of contingent value, but I feel like all of them are highly pressurized on each other. And what you need to bet on is the volume with Hertz. And ultimately where I end up is I end up a little bit on all these guys at cost because I'm there's sort of one blanket scenario where it works out across the board, which is that Jalen Hurts is really good and he has a lot of volume and there's three really great receivers that are going to help him be really good. And there's three really great incentives for the coach to want to pass the ball to these three. And then worst case scenario, even if they don't pass it as much, you have contingent value on all sides, right? In any given week, if you take one Jenga piece out of the pile, Smith, Goddard, or A.J. Brown with an injury, then all of a sudden, oh my God, like now there's, you know, 25% of the targets just opened up for these other two to get. Um, And we know that all three of these have the talent, that they actually can suck up those targets. They aren't going to just allocate themselves to Quez Watkins and Zach Pascal and, and, and these bums. So that's where I'm at with that situation and similar in Vegas. But I think in terms of the heuristics of these others, generally how I would look at it is a situation like the Jets. It's a situation where I want to be on what, what I, what I would refer to as like the normal goods versus the inferior goods. So I've used this term, I think on other podcasts, but in economics, there's this term called inferior goods 
um, which is essentially goods that actually become more valuable in negative economic conditions. So for instance, like canned foods, right? Canned foods, when the economy is going great, more less people buy canned foods. When the economy is going terribly, if there's a war, if there's a pandemic, more people buy canned foods, right? That's not how most things operate. For most goods and services, people buy more when they have more money, right? Um, and to me, I look at like that scenario and because the maximum outcome for anyone on that offense is all of these ambiguous players pushing each other to better outcomes, like people tend to look at it independently. It's like, I don't know if I can trust Elijah Moore because I don't know what Zach Wilson is. Well, right. one of the ways that Zach Wilson gets better is if Elijah Moore is a superstar. One of the ways that Zach Wilson gets better is if Garrett Wilson is a superstar, right? What if two of these players who all have all their question marks around them but are also young and all of these ceilings, what if two of them are better than we think they are? And then they help each other grow into a ceiling, right? So that's where I want to bet on these goods that can benefit under positive market conditions. Whereas I look at a Corey Davis, I'm like, that's the inferior good, right? The scenario yeah. where he's best is if Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson disappoints, right? Which is good for Corey Davis, but it's probably bad for the offense. Because if, if in the scenario in which Corey Davis is the best wide receiver on the Jets, like that's a scenario where we're probably not seeing a major step forward in this offense because that's just not like they're not ascending to a major degree if both the younger wide receivers are busting out. And so that's where I want to be. If I want to soak up any extra advantage that I have in correlating this ambiguity with Wilson, like Zach Wilson, that is huh. or playing for his better case scenario. I want to bet that one of those two young wide receivers or both are a total star and they're helping carry Wilson and then Wilson is helping carry them. And you get this like upward trajectory on both ends. Like we saw with Burrow and Chase and Higgins last year, where it's like, Oh wait, Burrow's a little better than we think. Oh, Chase is way better than we think. Oh, Higgins is also better than we think. And all of a sudden everyone's pushing each other up in this really positive way. And then, so that's where I just kind of want to go for, for the, the young guys. And then, you know, you look at a situation like Seattle, it's like, I don't really see the hope. Right. There is no real ceiling for this offense. There's no so, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I just want to sure. go for the cheapest option because it's like, I'm not getting, you know, I, this is this, now I want the inferior good, right? This is canned food in Seattle. This is, <laughs> this is a war. This is a pandemic. This is a Drew Lock apocalypse. This is a Drew Lockalypse, right? Oh so my I'm, God. So I want, I want to just take Lockett. I want to take my, my Tyler Lockett can of spam and get whatever points I can get and savor it because unfortunately DK Metcalf is going to perish <laughs> this year. Oh in that situation. Uh, and the last one, you know, being green Bay or Kansas city, exact opposite of Philadelphia, right? Where it's like, we yes. are not concerned about the level of oxygen, right? We talked about Philly. It's like, there's no target oxygen here because AJ Brown's going to suck up all these targets and Devontae Smith's going to suck up all these targets and Goddard's going to, and nobody can breathe. There is a lot of oxygen in green Bay, yeah. right? There right. is nobody on that roster who has proved anything. And so if one of them really, really hits, they can go as far as you want them to go. There's something standing in their path. They can earn 30. Wide receiver one. Right. So, some would say that he's a sleeper for wide receiver one. So in that kind oh, of scenario, God. I want to go for the biggest contingent play in these scenarios where it's like, okay, if they hit, how much do they hit? And that's why I just tend to lean into whether or not I like the player. I'm more inclined to bet on a Christian Watson than an Alan Lazard. I'm more inclined to bet on a Sky Moore than a Marcus Valdez Scantling. Because I, it's like, again, if, if 
if Mark, if MVS hits, like, great. Like, I'm still willing to take bets on him because there's a scenario where he still pays off his cost pretty easily and has spike weeks with Patrick Mahomes. You know, similar to Lazard. There's a scenario where he pays off his cost. But is there really a scenario where Lazard or MVS is like a wide receiver one? I, I don't think so because I think that they've demonstrated to us their limits as a player. And so I wanted, I would rather take the bet of like, if Sky Moore hits, he all of a sudden he's in a room with nobody really stopping. If Christian Watson hits, I don't like, everybody knows I'm not a fan of Christian Watson, the prospect, but I think it's way more likely that I'm wrong about rookie Christian Watson than I'm wrong about Alan Lazard going into year five, right? Like we just have more <laughs> data on Alan Lazard. So yeah. I, I would, I'm willing, I'm more willing to bet on, okay, what if I'm wrong about Christian Watson? Who is standing in the way? Nobody. Right. Um, and I'm willing to bet on like a Romeo Dobbs too. So anyway, that's, that's my long theoretical rant about it, but we can get more into the, uh, the stuff next week. Can't wait for next week. Next week is already shaping up to be. It's going to be a heck of an episode if we. If Dad, just, I won't be there. Oh, that's oh. right. You're not. Yeah. Shit. Well, till next time, Billy. <laughs> Damn uh, professional look, development. Look, we take a quick second. We're going to get final thoughts. We're going to get the heck out of here so Jacob can uh, honor his other arrangements. We can get everybody out of here for the night. Sit tight. One more clip, and then we come back. We're going to do final thoughts. What's happening right now is that those quarterbacks are not actually giving you that much more of an edge from a points per game standpoint. Like if you look at it from any sort of warp analysis, they're really not doing that much more. They're scoring a little bit more, but so are the baseline quarterbacks. Like every quarterback is scoring a little bit more. Um, What's happening is that they're becoming more predictable. And when they're more predictable, people are paying up because they feel better about getting those guys. Whereas back in 2015, you know, people be drafting Aaron Rodgers in the third round, but there was no difference between Aaron Rodgers and a guy who you were drafting in round 15 in terms of, uh, you know, how, how well we were going to predict how well they do. Again, what an episode. Oh, damn. What an hey, episode Lucas. with that guy there. Uh, look, we're going to go around the home with final thoughts before we get out of here, starting with you, Jacob. Uh, this was super fun. Loved it. Um, one of my favorite topics is always ambiguity and uncertainty. So I had a blast. I felt like I was high energy today. So that was fun. Uh, always fun talking with you guys. And then uh, if you want to read more about uh, a one player that many people are calling fairly ambiguous, um, Gabriel Davis, the polarizers is still up pinned to my Twitter. And then this Friday, uh, I will be releasing part one of my best ball tournament strategy guide, um, where we talk about a lot of things like, ambiguity and ceilings and which archetypes of players in these types of situations we should be trying to target in a tournament format so i'm super super excited uh, to release that otherwise you can always find me in the bulletproof discord you can find me on fantasy intervention on wednesdays with chase with shane on the join our circle twitter account you can find me from time to time uh doing cash considerations on this very uh youtube channel and you can find well it's not live but you'll be able to find the recording of my podcast with pat Fitzmorris, which i'm going to go do in seven minutes um probably later this week awesome billy yeah you can find me on twitter as always at big billy ff uh i'm finally getting my lazy ass into a shape and doing some fun stuff <laughs> I, 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 billy ff well that too that too uh but um yeah, I got some cool stuff coming down the pipeline. I don't want to promo it too much right now, but should be very fun coming out here, hopefully in the next couple months. Very ambiguous of you, uh, Billy, with your, what I you're working on. Word. I think he pronounced <laughs> it as ambiguous. 
Amphibious? Lucas, the producer in the back, you've been here the whole time. Final thoughts on the show today before we get out of here. Holy cow, just the uh, just the theory that's going into all of these discussions. It's not just point blank. I like this player more than I like this player. It's going into just what offensive scheme they're running and also factoring in those ADPs of like, we all recognize that AJ Brown's an elite player, but then the way that each of you all value that ADP differently just based off of what you're all ceiling or what you see the ceiling being. It's a lot of fun to sit back here and just uh, listen to it as I'm, furiously typing through looking for more stats for you all so yeah that's <laughs> it keeps you uh, actively engaged but uh, yeah you can find me on twitter at the cute hurts uh i do have an article out i believe that is on uh fantasy intervention about rookie wide receivers going into high scoring offenses so recommend you check Love that it. out and you will find me on the full tilt dynasty youtube page the vast majority of time that i am not actually working so that's kind of where i am yeah, I, I also want to shout out that we forgot to add Devin Funches signing as a tight end today <laughs> on the signing show sheet. TJ Hawkinson stocks on the uh -oh, way down, uh -oh, plummeting. Uh -oh. uh, look, my my you were, uh, rostering James Mitchell on your taxi squad. It's time to panic. Yeah, time time to bounce. The warning bells uh, have been. Jordan, signed. what's his name? Jay Mitchell. Uh, I have no idea what his name Lucas, is. If anyone's gonna know, Lucas, it's the tight end from Virginia Tech. Anyway. Oh, he's James nope. Mitchell. Yeah, okay, it is James Mitchell. My final that thoughts guy, of the day are this: on the Packers for two years. <laughs> we are growing as a as a team here. We are growing as a community. The Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast Discord is open. We have new members on the regular. The YouTube channel growing again. Can't do any of that without all of you. Uh, we're going to continue to bring content through this. I guess fantasy football dead zone, if you want to use dead zone uh, in, in another context. Uh, but other than that, I can't wait for week two. And uh, Jacob, it kind of sounds like we need a people VRTDB uh, on AJ Brown for next week. So we might have to work on that because you and I disagree, sir. And uh, we, we, we might have to go to town on that one. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to work on that. It'll be my first time not behind uh, the bench, if you would, but uh, obviously at, you know, as the prosecutor. So we're well, going to, there's, there's a phrase in, in the legal world that lawyers make the worst witnesses, but we'll find out if judges make the worst fantasy football advocates. <laughs> I love it. So next week, there it is. We're going to have a people VRTDB on AJ Brown. You heard it here first. And of course, as always treat each other with at least a little bit of respect on the internet. Don't be a giant piece of shit. Don't be human garbage. Remember that clear eyes, full hearts can never lose. Stop in at the discord head over to YouTube and remember that your best days were always spent tilting. Good night, everybody.